Welcome to Arise Life, a community of believers being equipped, empowered, and released into their destiny. For more information, go to arisealife.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. I kept hearing about fire, and go figure, you know? And the Lord showed me this image, and the image was like of this wooden, like, tiki idol. And, uh, you know, it was kind of like, it was kind of all mangled, but it was an heirloom. Anybody have like junk you hold on to? You're like, it's really not worth anything, but, uh, you know, I've had it for a long time. I had like a yellow naugahyde chair thing was uglier. <laughs> and I, I was like, why are you holding on to this? Anyway, and the Lord, I felt like he said, he said, toss it into the fire. And I'm like, oh, okay, toss it in the fire. And as the fire burns it up, it reveals underneath it silver. I'm like, well, that was a good trade, Lord. Here, you burned off the wood, and now what was relatively worthless is now worth something. And the Lord said, stoke the fire. Uh, like, why? Let's take it out. Let's, you know, cash it in or something. He says, stoke the fire. Stoking the fire, suddenly the silver melts off and it reveals gold. And I'm like, oh, now that's an upgrade, Lord. I can get behind, right? Silver corrupts, right? Silver will over time turn into, you know, turn, you know, uh, what is it? Tarnish, somebody knows the word. And so then he's like, he's like, keep stoking it. I'm like, no, I'd like to take the, you know, it's kind of like, you know, like, would you like to cash in your tips or go one more time? And I'm like, let's go home. And he's like, no. And I st- stoking the fire in my mind. All of a sudden the gold melted off and revealed a diamond of infinite value. God, I believe, is asking us. He said, if I ask you to surrender, it's not to take something from you, but to reveal something to you. That's free. All right. Okay. Jesus, 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 Jesus. But, but and, and even in this story of Nehemiah, we've been talking about the ruins of Jerusalem. They had been ruined for 120 plus years. They had been, uh, they'd been trying for 90 years to restore the ruins with no success. Anybody have areas of your life where for years you've been trying to bring restoration and you're just, there's nothing. There's nothing to show for it. God, what? He's not done yet. He's not done yet. He's not done yet. But what was the trick? What was the difference? Where they had tried before themselves, they now tried together with God. Together with God. Anybody, you have a ruin in your life that you're making sure nobody else knows about because you're going to work on it? How'd that work? So, the, we, we talked about this, you know, we talked about Nehemiah came back and he rallied the people together. He came as a governor, but he really just rallied the people together. He didn't use his governorship for that. He was like, come on guys, let's do this. And as they did it, as they stepped out to be obedient and begin to uh, rebuild the wall uh, with anybody started with like supernatural hope and then got hit with opposition. Three of us. The rest pray for us, pray for us. Well, and, and it's just like, it's like the wind gets taken out of your sails and you wonder why you even started. But instead, I love it. Nehemiah says, mm, 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 mm. All you did with that opposition is show you don't get any piece of this. Out of here, out of here. He, um, and instead they press forward and, and then the enemy began to intimidate. Anybody here been intimidated when you're trying to follow Jesus? Like, what's the point? Give up now. You're a loser anyway. Run away, right, right? Um, 
And, and the reality is in this place, they're, they're starting, but, but Nehemiah gets a strategy and he says what, what Masha was talking about, that they began to work with one hand with a sword in the other. We have to be vigilant. We have to recognize we have an enemy and it's not each other, just to be clear. <laughs> it's not sister so-and-so, it's not brother so-and-so. It is, we have an enemy, and so we shouldn't be surprised, but at the same time, it doesn't change our assignment. They don't allow the enemy to change their assignment. They don't live in reaction, and they stand in that place, and, but then the enemy does attack. Anybody here, you did everything right, and then the enemy still attacked? That doesn't deny the calling of God, but the key is they didn't war alone. What did they do? When the enemy actually attacked, they blew the trumpet, right? Remember, they were spread out, as Philip was kind enough to do the math for us, 420 feet apart, you know, over a football field apart. It, with rubble in between, they blew the trumpet and they dropped what they were doing and ran to the place of battle. But you know, the only way they could run to battle is if somebody blew the trumpet. Anybody here, you're scared to blow the trumpet? We need to be people that when we're struggling, we blow the trumpet and invite people to our battle. Not as victims, not as victims, but as I'm holding the line, join me here. And so in this place, so we, we're warring together and they're, they're getting breakthrough, they're getting breakthrough and everything's wonderful. And now we get to chapter five of Nehemiah. If you just open up your Bibles, it's in there somewhere. And... Uh, and I asked the Lord, anybody been like reading through scripture and it feels like it takes a left turn at Albuquerque? You're like, this has nothing to do with it. I was like, Lord, why don't we skip over this? He's like, oh, really? Anybody here tried to reason with God? You know, as we said before, he's unreasonable. And so what, um, we're just going to read the first six verses and we'll do the rest in story time form, all right? So verse, um, so they have built the wall halfway up, right? They're halfway there. Uh, they're, they're, they're doing the work, you know, they're standing fast at the enemy. They're actually coming together for the first time, the first time, the first time, basically in hundreds of years, they're actually walking in some form of unity. Do you know what happens when you're in survival mode? Unity is the first thing to go, isn't it? Where about yourself? There's not room on this door for both of us. There's not room in my boat, right? Yeah, I know. I don't know. I don't know where the people, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously in the wrong place. But anyway, <laughs> when we go to survival, you can tell it because the first thing I do is I cut myself off from you. I cut myself off. I'm like, oh, I'm going to, I got to deal with me. But, but what happens is they're finally doing something together and God's showing up and it's exciting, right? Whew. Anybody had that where you finally actually experienced unity in a body? Maybe some of you this morning was the first time you experienced it. It is a rush like no other. You know why? Because you were made for unity. You were made to be unified with God and unified with one another. That's what Jesus said in John 17, why he came and died, that we might be one with him, even as he and the Father are one, and that we might be one in the same way. That's the goal. And you know what? You know what pleasure is? Pleasure is doing, uh, using a thing for what it was made for. 
Now, some of you already got there ahead of me. Pleasure that brings no sorrow. It's pleasure that increases, that strengthens. That's the pleasure of a thing used rightly. And so when there's a pleasure that brings sorrow, anybody explored that one? Y'all are shy today. All right. (laughs) Three of us. Okay. Awesome. So there's a pleasure that brings sorrow. That is when I'm taking a God-given need and attempting to fill it by means that he never designed. Right? So I'll give you an example. You were meant to be seen and you were meant to be intimate and connected and unified with other people. Anybody here tried to do that in your own strength (laughs) at 3 a.m. with Netflix? Oh, moving on. No, seriously, there is when we attempt to fill our needs by our own means, it will give us a pleasure for a moment, right? But when you experience the pleasure of the Lord, it's like there is drunkenness with wine that gives you a hangover. There's drunkenness in the Holy Spirit that will light you up for days, but the minute you need to be sober to deal with it, I'm here for you. Right? There, there, I am not dominated by it. I am partnering with the Holy Spirit. And so, uh, so in this place, there, there, when we step into unity, you feel joy and connection, and you come alive like no other. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. It might be the unity of a relationship. Okay, you guys know that moment, the first time you're like dating somebody, and you're like, ah, like you feel seen for the first time. You're like, you see me? You like that about me? <gasps> right? There is a joy and a, I mean, it's a drug. Can we be real? Now, some of y'all are addicted to it so much, you keep going for that first love moment over and over and over again. With different people. That's not what it was intended. It was intended that as we grow in love, we become more seen and more known, Right? That, that there is that, and so what happens is when we experience unity, we, God, it may, in, there, is, there is this joy that comes, but who here found that that joy, that initial, woo, something comes after it? Nobody? Nobody? Help, help me out. What comes after the, ah? Just give me some ideas. Reality, more. What, 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 what kind of reality shows up there? Some Monday. <laughs> what else? What else? Come on. Give me some ideas. Conflict. Conflict. I've never heard of that. Imperfection. Boredom. Imperfection. Imperfection. Difference. Difference. She's just like me, only a woman. <laughs> so identical, you're saying. <laughs> no, the, the reality is boredom, right? Who here are my, who are my adventurous ones? You're like, I always need me some thrill. And so when it gets boring in relationship, let's add a little excitement to this life. <laughs> you ever played Russian roulette? No. Right? No, no. But, but, but then the other like, oh my gosh, we're identical. And then different shows up. Ah! You didn't tell me you were a woman. <laughs> when did this happen? What I would submit to you is when we begin to pursue unity, that's when the problems start. But that's not a sign of a problem. 
So walk with me. Verse 1 of chapter 5. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. I don't know if the other Jews were not men and wives, but whatever. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must eat grain. So they're in the middle of God doing this incredible thing. They're all doing it together. And they are, they're hungry. They have needs. They have needs. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have been subject to have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. And Nehemiah says, when I heard their outcry the, against these charges, I was very angry. Where are my justice people? Right? You're already like loading the bazooka. Just point me at them. I had this experience uh, years ago. I, well, years very much so. I was like 17, 18. We were doing a little mission project in our town and working on some areas. And there were two little projects. We were doing some uh, interior renovation on some rundown buildings. And, and I'm on one work crew. And then there's another work crew. And there was a girl who was working on the other crew. She comes over just crying, going, ah, they hate me. They won't let me work with them. They hate me. They, won't, they talk bad about me. My justice people. Right? I was like, you wait right here. <laughs> I walk over. I walk into the place. I read the right act to them all. I told them where to get off. I told them what was wrong with them, how, what they had done to this poor, innocent young lady. <laughs> Walked out of there. And unbeknownst to me, the youth worker who'd been out of the room at the time comes up, and he comes up behind me. He said, what in the world were you doing? I said, what? He said, we asked her to work. She refused to work. She spent all of her time distracting everybody else. And we simply said, if you do not want to work, that's okay, but you need to step away. <laughs> right? What, the, there's something that rises up in us that somebody going to pay. Somebody going to die, right? Is that God's love? Some of you, the justice people are like, I think so. <laughs> no, that is not God's love because God loves both people. God's goal is restoration. We talked about this before. God's justice is to return a person or a thing to its original intended design. It's not to make somebody pay. How do I know that? Because Jesus paid the cost for it all. When we get into the weeds of trying to make somebody pay, we've already missed the thread. His goal, that's why we have a ministry of reconciliation. So Nehemiah has this, and he is ticked off. But you know what it says he did? It said, I pondered. This week, I was texting with somebody, and they shared something with me, and I got riled. And so I started to type a response because there was a potential bad situation on the rise, and I thought I'd help them out by giving them my insight. And God goes, mm, what spirit is that of? Not yours, but it's okay. <laughs> Why don't you just wait a minute till you return to a place of peace? Anything we do out of fear, rage, 
anxiety, frustration, depression, despair, will bear the fruit of those things. But it's right. It's the truth. You know, I see the recognition. People are like, that's right. Lord, Lord, it's okay. It's the truth. He said, I am the truth. And that doesn't sound like me. It's okay. Right? No, in this place, he ponders why. He steps away to find his peace. Before we try to deal with issues, could we not stop, look, and listen, or stop, drop, and roll, or do something other than open our mouths? And so uh, about 30 uh, minutes later, we're still conversating, and all of a sudden, I found my fingers retyping the text that I had already deleted. And God goes, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. I deleted it. 30 minutes later, the person's like, oh, this whole situation resolved itself. And God's like, aren't you glad you shut up? <laughs> Unfortunately, I have a feeling at the end of my life, I will discover all the situations I made worse. But that's another story for another time. And so what do, Nehemiah does is Nehemiah steps into this situation. Now, you've got to know something about this situation. What are they doing? People are hungry, and other people are, are selling them grain. People are, don't have money to buy the grain, then they're beginning to sell themselves into slavery. Now, here's the problem with that. I mean, you might realize there's a problem already, but they're good Jews, right? They're in the middle of revival. God told them in the first place, back in Deuteronomy, you will help your brothers and sisters out. If you need, if they need something, you loan it to them at no interest. If they need something, you loan it to them. But it, and yeah, they can give collateral, but they can't give collateral of their coat, their bed, their, their house, their livelihood, the things they need to make money. What's happening here? The exact opposite. Now here's the reality. God told them that, and 30 year, 50 years later when they're in the land of promise, they immediately began to do the opposite. So they've been doing the opposite for like a thousand years. It's not like, oh my gosh, right? I mean, here's what happens when we step into unity. Things that used to be okay are no longer okay. They've been not okay for a thousand years. In fact, God has been talking to him. If you look in Isaiah, he goes, listen, I, don't, I hate your fast if you would just do justice for the poor. If you quit doing this to other people. And in fact, the word he uses for them is stiff-necked over and over again. You know what stiff-necked is? Anybody here had a mule or a donkey or a really smart horse? The great thing is the dumber the horse is, the easier it is to, to manage. But when they get smart, that's when the problems start. My, my dad always said a, 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 a horse is like a three or four-year-old, but a mule is like a five or six-year-old. And, and it's, right? Stiff-necked is if you're trying to lead the horse... We're good, right? Anybody walk the dog that just saw a deer? That's stiff-necked, right? And in this place, stiff-necked means I resist all feedback from the master. Um, there's a problem right there. I don't see a problem, right? The, and when we step into unity, when we step into unity, we start to give each other feedback on each other, don't we? 
I, I've said this before. I was a young man. I, I was living. I was the neat roommate. Who here? You were the neat roommate. You know what I'm talking about. And, and I was the neat roommate because I had a slob living with me. I, I, I'd scare you if I told you how slobby he was. But anyway, and then I met Masha, and I discovered I am not neat at all. I have issues. When we step into relationship, things that used to be okay actually start to manifest as not okay. Right? Now, here's the thing. In that moment, when, when Masha's mere presence, first of all, you got to understand, I always say this. If you want to convince a young man that hygiene would be helpful, just put him next to a hot lady. Suddenly, he becomes very interested in hygiene. Why? He's getting feedback, passive feedback, right? The same thing. But you know what? Passive feedback sometimes doesn't go far enough, right? Because sometimes Masha needs to provide feedback to me because I have a gift. I call it spreading. I walk in the door. <laughs> Some of the ladies are already twitching, right? No. No, and so she provides me feedback that her, my spreading is violating her peace. Now in that moment, of course, I humble myself and I'm not stiff-necked at all, right? <laughs> no, in that moment of that, that my refusal to receive feedback makes me stiff-necked. And Jesus, uh, and God talks about it in Psalm 32, uh, verse 9. We can pull that up. It's towards the end. Like second to last slide. There it is. Do not be like the horse or mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, for they will not come to you. God desires that we be teachable and able to respond to feedback, right? And here's the worst part of unity. The more unified you are, the more feedback you get on you. <laughs> there were audible and inaudible groans, right? Who here found like in COVID in a, in a feedback-free zone, you were living your best life <laughs> without pants, right? <laughs> you know, people are like, I, I, yeah, I only do makeup and hair like that, that much right there. Um, but, but the reality is when we begin to become one, we start to receive feedback on us. Now, is all feedback equal? No. You did not, you did not stumble there at all. We were like, no. No, 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 no. Let me draw you a picture. Here I am. There you are. There is a dotted line down the middle. This is me. This is you. Okay. Now, this is what good feedback is. Good feedback is when... I feel this way when you do this. So I'm telling you about my experience of you. Now, here's the thing. I'm telling you what I'm experiencing of you. That is actually true. How do I know? Because I am experiencing you. I'm telling you about my experience. Now, here's the problem. Is every bit of my experience of you what you are sending me? Good, good, you're, all, you're with me, right? Why is everything that I'm experiencing of you not all of you? Because it's my filter. Because it's my filter. It's passed through all of me, right? You guys remember my buddy uh, with the ingrown toenail? 
my gosh, every single time I saw him, I stepped on his big toe, and uh, he let out a yell, and he was a big man, so it was a little bit scary. And uh, in that moment, he was like, you hate me, right? His experience of me trying to come to give him a hug, right, was you hate me. Was his experience of me, his feeling, he said, I feel like you hate me, right? His feelings are accurate. He is accurate about his feelings, but are his feelings accurate? And the further we get across the line, the less we know. So, so this is where not all feedback is identical. Not a, so, but here's the other thing. Who can give you feedback? Uh, well, let me put it this way. Are there people who don't get to give you feedback? What are people who don't get to give you feedback? You're not with a relationship with them. Now, I'm going to, I, that was, sorry, I tried not to do trick questions. That was actually a trick question. Literally, every time we encounter anybody, they are giving us feedback, right? They are, they are giving us feedback. A guy, as a guy, I stop, I, I see a woman by the side of the road. I get out to help her. We don't have a relationship. And I see her freak out. Stranger danger, right? She's given me feedback. Does she get to give me feedback? Absolutely. Absolutely. She gets to give me feedback. Uh, is it correct feedback? Hopefully not. <laughs> right? Hopefully I am the person who's here to help her, but she gets to give me feedback. Question. A toddler. Can a toddler give me feedback? <laughs> yeah, they're like, it's a superpower. <laughs> now the reality is, is I, should I receive their feedback? That, there was confusion there for good reason. I should, because, but here's my question. Is their feedback accurate? Accurate of their experience, but not necessarily of reality. True? The parents are like, yes. <laughs> right? They're, they're, you hate me. Oh, no. I don't hate you. If I hated you, I would not be here right now. <laughs> Some other person would be Right? Right? You don't understand. It is only love that keeps me here. <laughs> oh, yeah. I didn't want to sleep anymore. That's right. You know? No, the, the reality, though, is she is giving me feedback. And if I choose not to respond, what's going to happen to our relationship? Anybody here as a child realize that your feedback was useless in your family? You tried to let your parents know how you were experiencing them and it went absolutely nowhere. In this moment, when we start to receive feedback, because again, every time you draw close to someone, feedback begins to happen. And how we process that feedback in that moment determines whether we grow closer together or apart. When we come together, what that, that friction, that, that, that uh, actually reveals something that would prevent unity. And we can either let that be the defining word or we can recognize that's the next thing God wants to overcome. See, here's the thing. When problems arise in our unity, it is to show us what God wants to deal with. For a thousand years, they couldn't find their way to this problem. You and I would think this is a pretty, like, like top-level problem. Like, we should start with this one, right? You're selling your friends into slavery. Bad idea, right? No! They're literally, anybody have a friend? You're like, they, they're literally, it's like right in front of them, the problem. We're all like, that? You don't want to deal with that. What? I don't see anything! Right? 
And so every time they draw near to someone and that thing comes to the surface, what do they do? They react, push away. But what? But get a new friend. Get a new person, right? Not you. Not you. No, no. We would never do that. Okay, maybe. Anyway, in this place, what if when the problems arise in unity, it's not a problem, but it's a promise of what God is removing from our lives? Just put it out there. I always say this, is that dating is about discovering what you have in common. When engagement hits, you start to discover some differences, right? And marriage, it goes to 11. True? I, I always I like this. Um, uh, anybody been really good friends with someone and then decided to be roommates and lost the relationship? right? Because you don't know what's in between you until you draw close to one another. And we, so some of us, we have the inner vow, I just won't get close to anybody anymore. But we can't, we can't live that way. There is an internal magnetism that God wired us for community that we keep going, I will never let anybody in again. I will never love anybody again. <laughs> we can't stop it. And so we're stuck in a little cycle, aren't we? You're my best friend, never mind. <laughs> what if the things rise up so that they can be dealt with by us together? Because see, this feedback is part you and it's part me. Feedback is never 100% one or the other. This is really important. Who here are you really good at giving feedback? Like you're super good. Like you're like, you've already got primed in the gun. <laughs> your feedback isn't 100% accurate. It's accurate of your experience, but it's not accurate of the situation. What if we had a little bit of suspicion that our perception of the situation is not 100% accurate? And what if, so this is the first step. When we get feedback, we realize there's a problem. Anybody, okay, any, I try to keep it out of the weeds. Okay, Any, you gave your life to Jesus. You came to know him. Everything was amazing, and you thought you were good. And then he put his finger on something in your life, and you suddenly felt like the biggest loser that ever lived, and as if nothing had ever changed in your life. No, what if God's showing you the next thing he's going to deal with? What if it's the promise of the ways he's going to clean up the mess? Remember I talked about the collapsed vein? God doesn't want to leave you with a bunch of collapsed veins. God doesn't want to leave you with your life in ruins. He wants to rebuild the ruins. But to rebuild the ruins, you've got to recognize there is a ruin so that he can go to work with you to, do, to deal with those. It, he doesn't show us problems to shame us. That's the enemy. He shows them to give us hope. Because he shows us the gap between where we are and the ruins that are. The ruins that are and where he's taking us. The gap, is, but the enemy uses that gap to shame us. I was talking with someone recently. They were talking about their marriage and they were just in despair over their marriage. And uh, a spirit of ornery came over me. <laughs> and I said, I, I, it was really weird. Anybody had somebody complaining to you? And, and there, like, there's a Holy Spirit of ornery that says, mm-mm, there's something good here, and I need to turn your face to look at the goodness. And the goodness is you've got the best 
marriage of anybody you, anybody in your family line. You're struggling in your marriage because you want a better marriage, but you couldn't even want a better marriage if you didn't believe another better marriage was possible and you couldn't believe for that if God hadn't shown you the promise of the marriage that he has for you. Don't let the promise cause you to back away from the process. Don't let the promise be used as a means of shame, but use it as the joy set before you. You remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? Sweating drops of blood. And it says that he, for the joy set before him, went to the cross. And he's in this place of struggling. And I, I, we don't know. But this is my understanding of having walked with people. He's been hanging out with who for the last three years? The disciples. Twelve people. Like they were the A team. Like everybody else fell away. He has twelve guys finally with him, right? except that one guy who did sell him out for money, but whatever, right? <laughs> Anybody you had in, in this place, so he now got 11. 11's good. And he's like, come, watch and pray with me. This is a hard night. And they pass out cold. And what, here he is. He's like, this is my moment, and they're all failing me, and I'm going to the cross for them? <laughs> okay, God, you got to show me the joy set before me, because right now what's set before me is not joy. It is Loserville. Again, anybody, when the problem starts, you forget why you ever wanted to be in this relationship in the first place? <laughs> Some of us got there very quickly, right? You're like, oh, yes. Okay, who here, especially when it, we've been in trauma, when we've been in trauma, we, we, we do fight and flight really, really well, right? Because as a child, especially if you grew up with an abusive parent, you watch dad's face, you watch mom's face. And the minute they change, you've got to be ready to run, right? And so if you're raised in trauma, what you do is when you come into relationships, you immediately are like, good face, bad, bad face. And you, can't, you cannot see the good person that's still there. They become frustrated and you see rage. You see a villain. You see someone that you have to protect yourself from. And God is inviting us to, what if that thing comes up and it's like, I'm going to ponder. I'm going to keep my mouth shut. One of the best things you can do in relationship, especially if you're, you're a fight or flighter, is I need about 15 minutes. I can't show up right now. To build the language, I need some time. I'm not ghosting you. I am going away to be able to see you again because I can't see you right now. Not because you're the Antichrist, although I think you are. <laughs> but because I can't see you for who you actually are. We need to know that, that, that when that happens and we're not seeing the person as they are, we are seeing them through the lens of our pain. Mm -hmm. I feel like, we, I mean, we've talked about it multiple, multiple times, but I feel like if we have this understanding that we are for each other right we can fight from that place for the relationship right that we have the assumption the underlying assumption i feel like it's been the the biggest secret to our happy marriage right like that we i know that he's not going to do something purposefully to hurt me I, now you've got to understand i've provided her many opportunities <laughs> to think otherwise because i'm good <laughs> 
it not. But I know his heart, that he will not do something on purpose to hurt me. So if there is a misunderstanding, if there is something going on, I assume that his heart is good, that he's for me, and I can show up. I feel like just in a body, as he's building unity, if we assume the good motive, if we don't assign, if we don't assassinate character, if we don't assign the bad motive, if we don't say, well, they're just out there to, out to get me, they're wanting to push me out, or whatever my line is, right, in my head. But to say, no, like, this man is for me. Like, you'll take a bullet for me. Like, I feel like that's what the Lord is building in this body. is like saying, the person to the right and to the left, they're going to take a bullet for me. You know, Bill Johnson says, maybe not in the heart, in the leg. (laughs) (laughs) Right? But like having that assurance that like, no. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to let you be stupid. But at the same time, like, I'm for you. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And when you are not like walking in who you are, I'm going to call you up to who you were made to be because I'm for you. Not, not because not, I'm disappointed and given up on you. Well, and not because you're trying to protect yourself. Woo. Okay, so I'm going. I don't go- know what to do with that. All right. Okay. okay. <laughs> so this is where well, this is literally okay. It's getting real. Boys and girls. <laughs> boys and girls. Uh, uh, if you have an engine, the pistons are completely perfectly to um, ground down and uh, refined, milled. Fabricated a line, see, thank you, for to fit, right? Is there any gap between the piston, a new engine the, in the piston between it and the, and the shaft? Zero gap. It was made for it. Perfect. So we can run this with no problems. Uh, you might want to add some oil. If you don't add oil to a perfectly good engine, what will happen, my engineers? You can be perfectly made for each other, but if there's not the oil of the Holy Spirit, it's going to burn up and you're going to have an explosion. You have to have that. And that's the empowerment that when I'm afraid, Jesus, show me how you see her. When I am doing something against her because it's in fear, right? I'm pushing her away because I'm afraid of being judged. She and I'm providing her evidence of who I'm not right? For her, the only way she can see me as I am and partner in partner with is ask God to show her, remind me who you are. That's why Jesus, I believe was in the garden. He's like, show me who they're made to be. They've showed me something else for three years. I need to see it. What that it's worth it to stay in this relationship. It's worth it. So here's the real scenario, right? (laughs) This has not been vetted. So this is like the real marriage, right? Like we're really married. So. <laughs> I have no idea what's about to come out. It's a relationship, right? <laughs> so I don't know if you've noticed, but this man is very intense. No. <laughs> no. So, Gentle as a lamb. Yes. And so what would happen, he would overwhelm me like with the intensity. And I'd be like, okay, whatever. Like, like whatever you say, obviously, like you care so much that it doesn't really matter what I have with my little hand, you know? No, we have to go to Kroger, not no, Publix, no, Kroger. But, but it would be like destiny issues. It would be decisions, you know? It was everything. It was everything. <laughs> <laughs> See how she believes the good? <laughs> it was everything. Literally everything was life or death. So he, yes. 
So he would get. They lay on that bureau. He would get really intense, and I would, and he would go like for a long time, right? You would just get more and more like. Whoa, 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 whoa! Hide more and more, right? Well, see, that's why it had to become more intense. She was running away. I need to go like scrape me out. Don't you know we're made to be one, one? What I realized, though, is no matter how much I, quote unquote, pursued, no matter how much I want unity, as long as I was being intense, she could not come out to play. Do you guys remember this dotted line? See, she was over here, and I'm like, it's okay, I'll come over to you, (laughs) right up in your space. I will see you, like, yeah, later. So what did you have to learn? No, 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 no. Literally, this is what she would do. She'd be sitting on the couch, and I'd be talking, and I'd be sitting at the table, and then I'd stand up, and I'd kind of hover over, <laughs> and she'd be reading a book, and just go like this. <laughs> you know, because as men, we pick up on social cues so well. Anyway, by the way, ladies, subtlety does not work at all on men, and subtlety is anything other than a tattoo across your forehead. So, so I had to go. I had to say, okay. And, and I, I almost had to help her a little bit. I was like, when I'm being this intense, it looks like you can't show up. And she's like, <laughs> and I said, I said, and so we kind of came up with a code word. And I'd be like, am I being intense? And she's like, <laughs> right? And I would have to back off with the realization, the understanding, the belief that she wanted this relationship, that she would show up. See, my being intense was a problem that was keeping her from showing up. But the revelation of that was not to shame me, but so that it could be removed. Not that I would quit being me. As you can tell, that hasn't stopped. (laughs) But so that she could show up. But I can show up and I can be intense back, right? As as Marina found out uh, when we were working (laughs) on the uh, decorations for the volunteer dinner, she was like, do I need to give you guys a moment? You've got to understand, Masha and I, by nature, are the most non-confrontational people on the planet. But what was happening is I knew she had a vision for the volunteer dinner, and the way she was going about it would not achieve her vision. So he was getting, like, more and more intense. And I'm I trying was to... like, no, I have a plan. Like, back off. And I was like, yeah, but your plan's not getting you where you want to go. And I afterwards, I talked to her. I said, I'm so sorry if I was too intense. She said, no, I actually know you're for me. And so I can fight the good fight because I know it's going to bring us to where we want to be. Okay, that's, that's 20-some years in process to get there. But what I want to say is part of family is you get for free what other people have paid for. And that's not going to be 20 years for so you by yes. any stretch of the matter. So, yes, I would say, like, take this from us, right? Yeah. Like, you know, Jesus said, take a bite. <laughs> you know, like, this is like what we've learned. Like, you can step into it. In relationships, yep. right? If you, yep. the one one in the couple is more intense, yep. you yep. can make room for the other. Any, or up. any relationship. Right. It doesn't matter. Friendship, because every friendship, no friendships are identical. If they're identical, by the way, one of you is not needed. Does that make sense? You have similarities, but you're different. That's what makes it fun. And those differences, they have to make room for each other. But what I want to say with this is, here's the point. Now watch this. So I have been scaring this poor, innocent lamb. So I pull back to my side of the line. She has the option to stay in her little, her little castle, doesn't she? God, you're back there? Great, stay there. But she doesn't. 
She lowers the drawbridge and comes out. See, here's the thing. (laughs) Here's the reality is relationships require vulnerability. The greater the unity, the deeper the relationship, the deeper the vulnerability. If I refuse to show up in the relationship, if I show up, by the way, do you know what? This is the worst part of vulnerability. Do you know what vulnerability is? It allows you to see me as I am. And to hurt me. (gasps) It means I choose to come out to potentially being hurt. I'd come out to be potentially being judged. Who are my people that you work really hard to provide a, a um, uh, you know, glamour shots view of yourself to everyone around? Just blink twice. You know what I'm talking about. You're like, you're like, and here's my bio. You know, you provide a resume that's perfectly doctored. Like when you meet people, you're like, let me tell you a little bit about myself, right? And you make sure it's perfect. That's not relationship. Relate, intimacy, I love the, the way they say it. Intimacy is allowing into me, you see. I allow you to see me, warts and all. I allow you. That's the beauty of, 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 of unity and community and relationship is it actually allows you to see the things in me. Man, like I said, I didn't know I was a, a slob until I married this beautiful woman. And I like our life. It's clean, it's beautiful, it's nice. I lived another life before. It was not. I didn't know what I was missing. We come into relationship, we bless each other, and sometimes that reveals the things that are not as they should be, but not to shame us, but that they may be removed and we may be changed. But that only happens through vulnerability. And that only happens if I allow you to share your experience of me with me. Not as accusations. So hey, if you're giving feedback, don't use a bazooka. Give the information across the line and back up. You know, like when they do hostage negotiation, they're like, here's the pizza, back away, right? You know, like, like give the person, don't, have you read my thing yet? Have you read it yet? Have you read it? Hello, right? Like communicate, try. But here's the other thing is when you're receiving feedback, there's two ditches. One is, they're right. I'm a worm and not a man. And the other ditch is, you're wrong. It's neither or. So this is the last piece. And this, you're, you have to have or you will die. Everything I told you up to this point will kill you if you don't have this last piece. So anybody who left early, trace them out in the parking lot. Because this is the essential part. This is the oil. You can have the perfect engine, but without oil, it will explode. This is the oil. Because every feedback comes with a mixture, right? How can I tell what is true and what is false? How how can I tell what is life-giving and what is their pain? Like, how can I tell what is actually me and what is actually them? Who knows? Jesus! This is what you have to do with feedback. First of all, you have to let it in. Scary, isn't it? You have to make yourself vulnerable to it. Second thing is, you have to hold it up before the Lord. Say, Father, they said this. What do you say? And watch God. He'll go, now, that right there. Ah, there we go. Now, this part you can work with. My daughter gives me feedback regularly. 
you hate me. Well, no, she doesn't say that. Praise Jesus. Um, there are other things that get said. And the reality is, though, God, what is she showing me? And God showed me, there were, we, we were having a, a difficulty uh, with a Rubik's Cube. And, uh, I mean, that was the problem in the first place. Thank you, Brian. <laughs> and, uh, and, and what was happening is, I was, she was like, what do I do now? And I was like, I was trying to tell her it wasn't working. I reached over and I would try to help her. And she's like, no. And finally she said, Dad, if you take it to show me, you'll do it for me. That's good feedback, isn't it? There was a lot of other stuff that came with it, though. <laughs> Jesus, she said this. Okay. This part you can use. Uh, the only way I can sort through feedback and it not kill me, don't go self-psychoanalytical. Don't go, take it to Jesus. Jesus, what in this can I, because even if the feedback is true, it might kill you because it's not what God's dealing with yet. What you only want, what the part that God's dealing with, that part. You can claim that part. You can deal with that. Amen. This is the key. I make myself vulnerable to receive it, but I take it straight to Jesus. Jesus, what do you say? Okay, I'll take that part. And so I can then turn around with, with full vulnerability to my daughter and say, I'm sorry, you're right. I'm sorry. I, I don't want to do that. I want to help you, but I can't tell it to you. I actually have to show you, point to the areas. And she trusted me, and so I was able to take the Rubik's Cube, point to where I was talking, and hand it back. Why? Because trust was restored, because feedback was received. If we could have the worship team come. If I have two takeaways for you today, the first is that... When we draw near to one another, when unity begins to happen, pain happens. Problems arise. And those problems and the pain are not a problem. They're a promise of the area God wants to bring restoration in. It's not there to shame you. It's a promise. The second piece of that, though, is as we make ourselves vulnerable to one another and receive feedback, we have to take that feedback to Jesus and allow him to sort it out. If we could stand. Father, every single one of us is called to relationship, to community, to friendship. We are called to be one with those you put in our life, even as you and the Father are one. And we can't do that except out of the oneness we have with you. And so, Father, I ask you right now to breathe hope into relationships that are frozen, hope into relationships that are broken, hope into relationships that are antagonistic and terrifying, that bring hope. And Lord, I ask right now for a vision, the same way you gave, uh, you, you received in Gethsemane the vision of the joy set before you. You would restore joy and hope for those relationships, what you want to do, and that you would give us courage to show up and be vulnerable again. In your name, amen.